Let's tell the Lord, yes, Lord. Whatever you call me to do, whatever you want me to do, I say yes, Lord, to obey the Lord. Amen? There's no better thing. Good evening, everyone. How many of you had a tough day? Anybody have a tough day? Anybody have a, just an easy day? Anybody? Oh, good, good. Anybody had a, a, a frustrating day? Oh, 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 anybody had an oh me, oh my day? <laughs> whatever it is, let's bring it all together now. And let's say, Lord Jesus, whatever you brought us through, we thank you for it. Good, the bad, and the ugly. You, you brought us here tonight, amen. And we've gathered here in the name of Jesus, and we just pray that his divine presence and the power of his spirit would be manifest in and through our lives to equip us and to prepare us and to promote us into what he has for us for the remainder of this evening, for the remainder of this week, the remainder of this month, and the remainder of this year. Because believe it or not, this year is definitely coming to a quick close. And we just pray now, Father, in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, for those who have come through frustration, for those who have come through challenge, for those that just had an easy day, whatever it may be, help us now to prioritize your word. Open our minds that we may hear and, and, and understand and see all that you have for us, that we can say, God, truly it was good to be in the house of the Lord. We just give you praise and glory for it's in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. I'm so excited. I want to share with you uh, this spiritual law tonight that's going to either make or break you. Now, I'm the old school. I'm from America. I was born here in America. And I say either. I know the, the British say either. And uh, you may say either. I, my, our oldest son says either. And he, even on his app, he has a British, Siri talks British. I think it's Siri talks British. And uh, uh, what's that, Waze? Uh, he has... Everything's British, and I said, son, I'm like, you're going way, way back to the roots, okay? So I'm just going to say it this way. This spiritual law will either make or break you. So I would pay special attention tonight because I, I just, I'm excited to be able to share this with you because uh, it is definitely eye-opening and life-transforming if we will hear what God is saying and then apply it to our lives. We just want to make sure everything's up there. Good. Good, good, good. So we're looking at a spiritual law that's either going to make or break you. And, uh, you know, we're very familiar with natural laws. We understand natural laws and physical laws, scientific laws. And, you know, uh, simply one of the obvious examples is the law of gravity. Uh, anybody know about the law of gravity? An apple falling from a tree and hitting you in the head. Why does it fall from the tree and hit you in the head? Um, that next screen, I think, maybe will even give you a little picture of that. Uh, that wow. <laughs> So natural laws we understand, and nobody probably has the nerve to operate contrary to, say, the law of gravity. Nobody would expect to step out of a four-story window or off a four-story balcony and expect anything else other than falling, right, to your death. And uh, I, I don't know that anybody in here or anybody under the sound of my voice would go out on a four-story balcony and I say, you know, just jump off. Uh, violate, you can, you can break the law of gravity and you can fly. Well, I, if they were on some kind of stuff that altered their mind, they might would, but the normal person definitely wouldn't because we know there's a law of gravity 
and we may not know exactly how fast we will fall, but we know it'll be too fast for us to flap our arms and fly, right? And we're going to fall. So there's other laws that we can look at. Uh, I know one law that, that I grew up with, the laws that govern crops. I grew up on a farm and you know, harvest a fruit that is gathered from the earth. There's a science called uh, agriculture that studies those laws, and you can operate by those laws and have a harvest, or you can violate, violate those laws and not have a harvest. I'm picking on Pastor Radika today. We've got this one plant in our house, and the kid said, Mom, go ahead and shoot it. <laughs> that thing looks really, really bad. And, uh, and she was saying, oh, I just uh, can't figure out why. You know, we have uh, such and such in the family, and they got a similar plan, and it's, you know, six feet tall, and mine's just crawling around on the floor like a suffering animal or something. What is wrong? And I said, well, there's laws to uh, agriculture, and, you know, you, you say, oh, you're thirsty, and you run and put a gallon of water in it, and then it's drowning, and then it's trying to survive, <gasps> and, and finally it, it gets to the place, it's like, okay, I'm not going to drown, I'm going to survive, and then it goes long enough that it becomes the Sahara Desert. And then it's like, I need water, I need water. And then another gallon will come in. I said, you know, you gotta, there's laws to it. And I'm picking on her because I'm just as guilty because the plant's right there in front of me. I know what to do. And I just let the poor thing just crawl around like a wounded squirrel on the floor. And uh, <laughs> we had someone coming over this week. And she said, maybe we should take that thing out. They'll think we're a cruel people. And, uh, but I, I just know we, I can revive it because I know the laws of agriculture. And if you work according to the laws, they, they work for you. I found that many people who are very familiar with natural laws have no concept or no vision of spiritual laws that are in effect as well. And, and I want to uh, expose one and teach about one of those spiritual laws that will affect every aspect of your life and will either cause you to succeed or will cause you a great, great failure. Because these spiritual laws, they are just as definite, they are just as precise, they are just as certain, and, and they are just going to give you the same results if you try to break them. Uh, you're going to find destruction. Uh, people talk about breaking natural laws all the time, and that's really a mistake. You don't break the law of gravity. You say, well, uh, when, I, <clears throat> when a plane flies, <clears throat> excuse me, Aren't we breaking the law of gravity? No, you're using a force to come against the law of gravity, but it's still there. You haven't broken it. Let the engines go out and see what happens and, uh, immediately. So really and truly, if you're not careful and work with the law of gravity, the law of gravity will break you. You can try to break it, but it'll break you. And the same is true with spiritual laws. Very much so. Uh, people talk about breaking God's laws all the time, and that's not the way it really is. Uh, so I want to talk to you about a spiritual law that operates throughout the entire universe. From heaven, from heaven to earth, you will see this law in effect. I, I actually see in the scripture where <clears throat> it was uh, operating before the earth was ever created. What we have is our uh, universe, before it was ever created, this law was at work. And, and I believe that it will continue to work when the chronos time, that the timetable that we're on ends, that it's still going to work throughout eternity uh, because I believe this is the law that affects every one of us here <clears throat> for now and throughout eternity and uh, it will have a definite bearing on the course of our lives. So very, very, very important that you pay attention to this because to a large extent, 
this is going to determine whether you're successful or whether you fail. And we're not talking about just a, a temporal success. We're talking about eternity as well. Now, the spiritual law that we're looking at is stated three times in the New Testament. Each time comes from the lips of Jesus Christ himself. And, and many other principles of this law is applied and, and shown throughout the scriptures. We're not going to take time to go through all of those, but we're going to lay them out in Matthew 23 and 12, where Jesus says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You, you can see that this is a universal law. He's saying whoever. Doesn't matter if you're male or female. Doesn't matter if you've got a title or no title. Whoever exalts himself, Jesus says, will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. That means anybody, anywhere, at any time who exalts himself is going to be humbled. And equally universal, anybody, anywhere, at any time who humbles himself will be exalted. So God says this is a principle. It is a law of the Spirit with which I'm going to see enforced in every person's life. This, this law is also given in Proverbs 16 and 18. This is the one side of it. it looks at, look at that. It says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, this is probably one of the familiar verses of Scripture. I've heard so many people quote it so many times, but most of the time when I hear someone quote it, they, they say it wrong. They say, well, pride goes before a fall. And, and I've heard that. I've probably said it myself in error before. And that, you know, that is not what the Scripture says here. While true in principle, what the Scripture really says is that, uh, you know, that pride goes before destruction. Not a fall, but destruction. A fall you can get back up from, but when you're totally destroyed, let me tell you what, there's no pieces to be worked on to bring it back together. So it shows you the seriousness of uh, pride in our lives. Now in Proverbs 18 and 12, before destruction, the, man, the heart of a man is haughty. So here again, he's showing that same principle, this law, that this destruction comes when a man's heart is haughty and before honor is humility. So he's given us this principle again. So before a downfall, or the, 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 new, the King James and the New King James, right out of the Hebrew, gives us this word that, that gives us the picture of total destruction. So before destruction, not just a fall, but destruction is pride. Pride precedes it. And on the other side, before honor or being exalted by God is humility. These are universal. There, there never was a downfall in the experience of a living creature that had, was not caused by pride. Pride was at the heart of everything. Just study your Bible from Genesis to the book of Revelation and you will see the sin of pride at the center of every sin, every destruction, every force that came against God. But I want us to look at probably the first ever and one of the best examples of this that the Bible gives us. And it took place in a created being, not a human being. The Bible tells us that the first sin in the universe was pride. It was not drunkenness. It was not drug abuse. These things are not good. It was not immorality. It was not infidelity. It was not murder. It was pride. And the Bible's very clear at that. And amazingly, many people I see, they're horrified by drunkenness and they're horrified by drug use and they're horrified by infidelity and immorality and murder, but they never even blink at pride. 
They just tolerate pride as though it's one of those easy little sins that, hey, we all probably have some. But the sin of pride led to rebellion, the Bible says. And the principle is the inner always precedes the outer. It's always at work. With the inner condition of pride, you will see the expression manifest of an outer action of rebellion. Rebellion will come as the fruit of pride in our heart and in our lives. And, and, and here are some points that need to be made. This sin first took place not here on earth. This sin first took place in heaven, the Bible says. The sin first was committed not by a human being, but by a created being of God, an angel in heaven. That's what the Bible says. And, and the cause of the pride, the Bible specifically says, was beauty and wisdom had been given to this creator, this, cre this creation of God. And, and yet the creator, uh, that, that, that which was created, the created being, took the gifts of its creator and let the gifts cause a sin against his creator to cause him to be separated from his creator. When you're studying the Bible, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. When you're studying the Bible, you will find many, many times uh, as you study it from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you will see God teaching us the next level, the next level, and the next level of an understanding of laws and principles. And we see that here. We begin in the Old Testament through the prophetic scriptures, and, and they reveal not only the future, but also the past. Now, now, here's a lot of scriptures, and when I first put it up here, it's going to go like, wow, we're going to really read the whole Bible tonight. You know, I'm behind on my Bible reading, and here it is in November. The uh, pastor's going to help us catch up with all of it just tonight. No, no, just take, be a little patient. And, 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 but it's good that we see these details as God's Word gives them to us because here God's Word is showing us, is foretelling what is coming, but yet it's also explaining what is past. So when God gives us His Word, He can give us what, it can tell us what has happened in the past, but it's also foretelling us what will happen in the future it, so we can learn the lesson from the past so that we don't have to repeat it going forward in the future. Here in Ezekiel 28, verses 1 and following, He's going to be talking about two persons, okay? First, it's going to be the Prince of Tyre. He is an actual ruler there, the King of Tyre. And then He's going to be talking about the personality that's at work or the spirit that is at work in the King of Tyre. So the first person was a human being. So this was a true story that, that happened in the days of old. But the second person is not the human being, but that created spirit being, that spirit of pride that comes from Lucifer himself at work, and God addresses both of them and shows them how we need to learn from this lesson. Because this Lucifer spirit is much like, it's kind of like when Jesus, if you remember, when Jesus tells the, the disciples, he asks them the question, who do men say that I am? And what do they respond? You know, you're Elijah, you're Isaiah, you know, they're coming up with all these different things. And then Peter says, ah, oh, he, he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and uh, Jesus said, you know, Peter, you know, and, and he calls him this little pebble. He said, little rock, what that, that massive boulder of that revelation that you just got, that I am the Christ, the Christos, the son of the living God. I'm going to take that. That's what I'm going to build my church on. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Little Rock, you didn't get that from flesh and blood. You got that from my father, which was in heaven. So we can all stand back and just applaud and say, man, Peter is really connected. Peter is the dude. 
But then Jesus says, now I've got to go to Jerusalem and they're going to crucify me and they're going to kill me and bury me and I'll be buried for three days, but I'll rise again. And Peter says, oh no, no sir, I will stand and fight. I will keep back every opposition that comes against you. That will never happen. You're not going to Jerusalem. And what does Jesus say? He says, what? Get thee behind me, Satan. So the spirit of Satan had not possessed Peter, but was influencing Peter to, out of a good cause to want to stand and, and, and defend the Lord when really and truly he was going to be thwarting Jesus from doing that which he came to do for us. And Jesus recognized that. So here's Peter hearing from the Father God with a revelation that Jesus is going to build his church on. And now he's hearing from Satan and trying to stop the very advancement of the redemptive forces and the atonement being established so that we could have the church that he was going to build. Wow. All in the same person. So here we see uh, in Ezekiel, God is speaking to the first person the man who is claiming to be God, okay? So he says in verse 1, The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God. So God is speaking here to this prince of Tyre. Because your heart is lifted up and you say, I am a God, I sit in the seat of gods, in the midst of the seas, yet you are a man. And God says, You are not a God, Though you set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, you may be wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that can be hidden from you. With your wisdom and your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself. You have gathered gold and silver into the treasuries. By your great wisdom and trade, you have increased in riches, and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. You've used this, what Daniel, the wisdom that Daniel had, you're using principles of the kingdom and you're not seeing through humility that it is God that is giving you increase, but you're thinking you did it yourself. So now your trust is in these riches. That's why Jesus says it's easier for you know, a uh, camel to go through an eye of a needle, needle than a rich man or a man who trusts in his riches. Having, a, having a, a balance sheet that has big numbers on it is not going to keep you out of heaven, but depending on those numbers to be your God, your Savior, and your salvation, and everything that you do in redemption and not calling on the name of Jesus will keep you out of heaven. You cannot trust in your riches. It's not the money that is evil. The I even heard somebody at our men's advance, uh, somebody say, yeah, money is evil. And I heard somebody say, no, it's the love of money. Because the scripture says it's not money, it's just money, it's just paper or just coins or just numbers and, and, and codes and so forth. But it's that love, that dependence upon it. Well, it looks like uh, uh, Daniel had some influence even over this uh, uh, king of Tyre and he has used some of these principles and wisdoms and practices and, and he's really uh, amassed a great amount of wealth and power in, in outreach, uh, uh, I mean, uh, uh, you might say part of his kingdom. And now he's like, wow. Now he's putting his dependence in himself. I'm God. I'm a God of gods. I am lifted up. Look at what God said in verse 6. Therefore, says the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, therefore, I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall throw you down into the pit 
and you shall die the death of, of the slain in the midst of the seas. Will you still say before him who slays you, I am a God? But you shall be a man and not a God in the hand of him who slays you. You shall die the death of the uncircumcised. And uncircumcised in the Old Testament talks about he who is without covenant, the covenant of God, by the hand of aliens. For I have spoken, says the Lord God. Because of his pride, he was, that, that violates the very entrance into the covenant with God. There's no protection, there's no, there's no power, there's no guidance of God there because he cut himself off. Pride cut himself off and God said, because you're cut off, strangers are going to come in, aliens are going to come in, and you're going to die a miserable death. Now, we look at the king of Tyre in uh, verses 11 and following where God switches gears. He's not just talking about the, the practical, what was happening right there. Now he's talking about the spirit that is behind it. He's addressing the spirit, that Lucifer spirit. And look what he says. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up the lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. You are the seal of perfection. Now think of Lucifer, the archangel in heaven now, and, and him describing him. So he's talking to his spirit. He's talking to the spirit of Lucifer here. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, and diamond, and beryl, and onyx, and jasper, and sapphire, and turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was, were prepared for you by the day, for the day you were created you were the and that talks about the worship the worship it's like he was God just saying I created you the worship leader you know those 12 songs that the uh, high priest would wear on uh, his breastplate later on that was first in heaven and, and, the, and the high priest would go before God to represent the people and worship and and all before God but here Lucifer would, had that role first in heaven you were anoint the anointed cherub who covers Remember one of the cherub that covered the Ark of the Covenant? And that, there again, you're the anointed one who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones and you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up. Pride. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor and I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they may gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. Wow. Now, now let me point out certain features here. In verse 12, it said, you excelled in wisdom and beauty. Verse 13, the, you were the creation uh, there. You were the creature in Eden, the garden of God. Verse 14, the creature was anointed as a guardian or covering cherub there as that over the Ark of the Covenant in the holy mount of God. Verse 15, you were perfect, blameless from the day you were created. God created him without sin. A created being that, that he was talking about is not a man, but a cherub. He keeps calling him that. And verse 16, you used your position for your gain only. 
You bartered and traded all for yourself. It was about you. You became so self-centered, so self-focused. Your heart became proud. You became lifted up, he said, uh, because of that which I had blessed you with. You're cor- you, this corrupted you because of the wisdom and the splendor, so much so that this pride caused me to cast you down, cast you out of even my very presence. Wow, I see a condition in heaven before sin had ever happened, before Adam and Eve had ever been in the Garden of Eden. There was this, these many glorious created angels of God and, and one of the chief angels, the morning star, Lucifer, the Bible calls him, which means the light bringer. Uh, that, the, like the morning star introduces the dawn. He was the one that would introduce the Lord. He was the worship leader of heaven. The, 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 the stones and the wind blowing through and the music that would make uh, uh, in the timbrels of his being all show us that he was the one that led worship. And the Bible, if you study it, you'll find basic three archangels there, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. And and, and it's possible that each angel, I don't know this theologically to be correct, but sometimes I think if God sets things up in threes, there must be a reason. It may be that each of these archangels was uh, answerable to one of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And and each of them were commanded over a third of the created angels because you know he had these three and the Trinity and, and all how God sets things up. And then we later see a third of the angels fall with Lucifer. Uh, I, I'm just guessing at that. I'm not saying you have to go home and and, and teach that to your children and make that a dogma, okay? But because of the understanding and perhaps the unique wisdom and beauty, Lucifer felt he was worthy of a higher position. I know you cannot identify with this at all. I'm speaking Greek to you, but just bear with me for a minute. In fact, he felt that he was as good as the Lord. And if it was the Son of God, then uh, it adds a great deal of meaning to the rest of the history if that was his assignment. So here Lucifer went about promoting rebellion and spreading slander amongst the angels. The first sin. Now, if it worked in heaven where there was no sin, wow, I can imagine that same tactic will work here on earth where Satan would call through the spirit of pride that rises up in us, that we feel like we deserve better, we should be getting better, whatever, that we too can can promote rebellion and slander among the people that we have influence against the authorities uh, and, and the plans that God has for us. And Lucifer has never changed his tactics. I tell you, he's doing the same thing tonight. The person that goes about spreading false reports and self-promoting while tearing others down is probably nearer to doing the will of Satan than any other person on earth. You say, ah, no, if I was murdering someone, no. Oh, if I was doing this other horrible thing, no. Probably you're closer to looking like the devil when you're going about spreading false reports and self-promoting while tearing others down. That's how it all started. Because of a sin of pride. So Lucifer goes around and he's promoting himself and he's putting God down. He's telling the angels that probably you're not fully appreciated. Here you were created to just be serving him and, and, and crying out holy, holy and worthy and all this stuff. And you're not being used for your full potential. And you just let's just break away and we start our own kingdom. We can set up shop and, and we can do it the right way, so to speak. Hmm. And amazingly... 
in the full light of heaven's glory, in this perfect universe that had never been marred by sin, these tactics succeeded. Wow. I don't know about you, but that causes me to tremble. Because if these tactics worked in heaven where sin had never been before and where God had revealed, was revealed in all of His glory and all of His majesty, how much better will they work here on earth? And how much better have they worked here on earth over the thousands of years? So what I'm trying to reveal is to you is to how to identify the enemy. How to identify the spirit of Lucifer. Because let me tell you what, he is definitely at work. He is operating today, and, and he's no respecter of persons either. He will try to get you one in, just like he got a third of the angels. Because that's what happened. The rebellion in heaven, a third of the angels turned against God, and they joined Lucifer. Now, now the number a third is t- uh, this number a third there is taken from the book of Revelation. If you go to the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 4, the Bible says that when the red dragon was, ca- was cast out of heaven, that he took with his tail and swept away a third of the angels with him. So it's believed that a third of the angels may be the, the worship team in heaven. I don't know. But you know, one of the first things God gives us to do is for us to replace those who had fallen, and to become the worshipers of God. That we could represent Him here on earth and we could be the moon reflecting the, shine, the, the light of the sun of the glory of God over this earth as the waters cover the sea. Now, another frightening thing is this scope of authority, which is amazing. God committed this authority to Lucifer and he gave him authority over at least a third of the angels. Or, you know, God could have stopped that. But let me tell you what, God has a plan. And, and I say to us, it should sober us up because uh, if God gives us any authority, we are going to be held responsible for whatever sphere of authority that we have. And we all have a sphere of authority. It should continually warn us that the effects of our disobedience or disloyalty to God can permanently damage our lives as well as the lives that we have influence over. you got to be careful. you got to be careful how, what you carry, what contaminant you carry to the people around you. They say if you're contagious, they, in the school here, they say if you, you're, you've got a high fever and you're contagious, don't come to school. Normally, you're like, well, we got to get a doctor's report and we got to get, you know, I remember back in the day, you almost had to beg and plead and, and, and do everything you could to get an excused absence because it just didn't seem like that was something they wanted to allow. But this day and age, we don't even need a doctor's report. You got a fever, stay home. Don't bring that stuff in here. There's 100 plus students here and teachers and faculty that can be affected by that and we can shut the whole school down. You got to be care- careful what you carry to the people around you. Isaiah 14 and 12 says, uh, how you are fallen from heaven. Talking about his fall, okay? He's describing it. Oh, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, this is why. He is describing the very, the heart, the intents, the thoughts of the spirit of pride. This is it right here. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther side of the north. I will ascend from the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. 
Do you see the similarity of what he was saying to the, the king of Tyre and then to the spirit that was working behind the king of Tyre? It's so similar here. But here in Isaiah, he gives us this crescendo. Pride doesn't, pride starts small, but then it keeps building and it builds, it builds. It, it's all about I will, I will, I will. I will ascend into the heavens. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the No, nope, I'll be like the most high God. Wow. Pride will cause you to stand face to face with God with your fist in his hand, with your fist in his face, saying, I'm equal to you, if not better. Shut up, move out my way. I'm in charge. That's what the spirit of pride will do. It doesn't start out that way, but that's, that spirit is leading you to that. Now, in Hebrew, which the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, I love Hebrew. Oh my goodness. I remember we were taking Hebrew. One of my dear friends just passed away, Brother Jerry Hanna, a uh, traveling evangelist and singer. He used to come here. All, remember him? Yes, Brother Jerry just passed away. Bless his heart. But I know he's dancing in heaven. He did the, the Jerry jerk. He always had that little Jerry jerk he did. Uh, probably as he stepped over the gates into the pearly gates into heaven. And everybody was welcoming him. What a glorious man. But I remember uh, in his later years, he just felt God called him back for a master's degree. And I was working on my master's degree at the same time. And we ended up being in uh, Hebrew class. And he, he was older, much older than me. I think he's in his 80s. Uh, just passed in his 80s, I think, maybe, or, yeah, late 80s, and, uh, which is still young, amen. I'm, I'm every, as older I'm getting, those years are getting younger and younger. So, uh, but this was, you know, 25 plus years ago or so, and uh, he was like, man, I don't know English. How in the world am I going to do Hebrew? We sat through the class, and Dr. Rosenfarb was teaching, and Dr. anybody know Dr. Rosenfarb? He's just a, he's a wonderful messianic uh, Jewish professor and rabbi. He's just amazing. And, and, and as he was talking, I could see it. Hebrew is very pictorial. And I was seeing the pictures of it. It was like running pictures. And I'm like, wow, I see why God used this language. This speaks. This is so awesome. And Brother Jerry was like, help, I'm going to die. And uh, so I, we got to meeting after class. And I became blessed and honored to, to help tutor him. And he taught me so much more than I ever taught him. I helped him in Hebrew, and he helped me in everything else. And uh, we just bonded. And, and, and years later, he'd be preaching from a pulpit. And he would say, yeah, and Dr. Lamb. If it were not for you, I'd have never got out of that Hebrew class. <laughs> but Hebrew is beautiful, okay? And, and here, uh, there are five verbal forms. And the one used here is will be, uh, and it's repetitively to do something finally to get there. So when you see these five I wills, it had that end goal number five, that was, that was the bullseye. But every one of them was leading to that. It wasn't something that they got bored at number one, got bored to go to number two, and number two got bored to go to number three. No, his ultimate goal is I'm going to be like God. I'm going to be even above God. God is not going to rule over me. If nothing else, I'll rule over him. That was all the original intent. And here with this verbal form, it shows you that everything was stepping to that. Okay, so it had this purpose and aim that it was going to. And, uh, and what happens when he moves in that direction and gets there? What does God say? You got to go. You got to go. The fall. Remember what we said. Whoever, this is that law, whoever exalts himself. Jesus said it. Whoever exalts himself will be what? Humble. 
let the spirit of Lucifer and pride come in, you're going to be humble. It never fails. It's a law. It's a law. You say, well, I've gotten by with it. No, you, you fooled yourself. You, destruction is coming. Destruction is coming. And here God calls the root problem pride. Now, pride is putting I in the center. Do you see that? I. Sin. What is the middle letter of sin? I. Man, remember that. Listen to yourself talk. Record yourself when you talk and listen back to it and see how many times you say I. And then pray and humble yourself and say, God, help me. Renew my mind. Forgive me, Lord. It's not all about me. When did I make it all about me? Well, I like this. I don't like that. Well, I want to go here. I don't want to go there. You know, you, you got to be careful because Satan is looking for any entrance he can to bring this spirit of pride in, just like he brought this spirit of pride into the king of Tyre. And God's response to this rebellion was something only God would have thought of, okay? Notice the root problem was pride. And I believe that God saw that once and for all, this issue of pride, it had to be dealt with in such a way that it was finished, that the problem would never occur again. So God decided to make a creature on earth, okay? And its name was Adam, or Adam as we call him, or man. And this creature was made by God in a way that no other creature was made as God made all of the other creatures by speaking it. We get animals, we get the birds of the air, we get the fish of the sea, we get the trees, we get everything created that we can see today and not even see was created by the voice of God. God said, now with the word of his mouth and his spirit, he created the heavens and the hosts and everything that was in it. But when it came to this thing that he called Adam, everything was different. Genesis 2 and 7 says it this way. And the Lord God formed Adam, or man, of the dust of the ground. And he didn't speak, but he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. I prefer the translation, a living soul, which is, gives a better understanding of what it says in the Hebrew here. So here, God is not doing as he did with the angels, but here he came down to earth, he stooped down, and he took some dust and probably mingled it with a little water and formed some clay and molded the greatest piece of pottery uh, uh, or sculpture that the universe has ever seen. And it was a perfect God-created human body, beautiful, but it was lifeless. But then God stooped down even further and he put his divine lips against the lips of clay. And the Bible says he breathed into the body of clay the spirit of life. And the in-breath spirit or in-breathed spirit turned that clay figure into a living human personality. Hallelujah. And I love the Hebrew language because in many ways it contains keys, you could see, to understanding the Scripture. There are two words here that are very, very interesting. You see in Genesis 2 and 7, and it's the word to breathe. Now, this word to breathe is a, a word that we get, uh, napak, napak is how it's pronounced in the Hebrew, and it means to breathe. So God, he napaked into this clay being that he had formed with his hand. And, and you'll see this word, and it contains a pa, pa sound, okay? How about y'all help me out and go pa, pa, you know? 
you know, your microphone uh, doesn't need uh, filters on it or, or windscreens on it and all, except for the sound. Well, you know, that's why you'll have them on there because the it's unlike any other sound. It's a sound in, that the English-speaking people don't normally make uh, in the fullness where it goes, it speaks out of the back of the throat. We don't usually talk like that, okay? Now, Scottish people, they, they may have it in their lock, you know, it kind of makes you sound like you're gagging or something, but and Semitic languages have it, and you'll never be able to speak Semitic languages correctly until you can make that sound. And, and my throat, as I went through practicing it years ago, as I was learning the language, it uh, actually would make my throat sore. It had to toughen my throat up because it had never had a sound vibration in that part of my throat, okay? So, so when teaching uh, phonetics, you learn that there are different kinds of letters, okay? For example, the letter, like we're looking at P, is a distinctive letter. It's called a plosive letter. Did you know that? The P is called a plosive letter. It's a consonant that, that is uh, produced by stopping the flow of air with our lips followed by a sudden release of air. Try it with me. We're going to fill our mouth up. You're like a blow a trumpet, but don't let the sound come out. Then let it go. Okay, that's the plosive. Okay, it has uh, that explosion. And you can say it with piece of paper, pepper, praise, pray. No other letter has that plosive nature except for P. Now, why in the world is that important? Here it is, 8.16 uh, p.m. on a Wednesday night. Why in the world is that important? Well, it's important because when God breathed into the body of clay that he had created, it was a napak, napak. That he, that was, he uses the word, I didn't, God chose Hebrew, I didn't, and he didn't just gently breathe, there was a tremendous force and an authority that impelled the breath of God into the clay being that he had created, and then there was that ongoing, uh, you know, it was not just a, it was a, it was like I'm breathing from the depth of my diaphragm into the depth of your diaphragm. So here we had the napak, okay? And the very sound of the word describes the action of what was happening there. Not many languages do that, but Hebrew does. And, and that's one of the characteristics of it. And this in-breathed breath of Almighty God changed the clay body into a living person. Hallelujah. And man became a living soul. It's as though God breathed His heart into us. He breathed His DNA into us. He breathed His character into us. He said, this thing that Lucifer has done, He says, I'm telling you what, I'm going to do it this time where my very heartbeat is in them. My very DNA is functioning in them. They're not, they're not going to be as ones that were created just to serve, but they're going to be a part of me. They're going to be sons and daughters. They're going to be a part of my family. Hallelujah. And there we became a living soul. And that word soul would be nephesh. That's why I said better translated living soul because it's nephesh. And in he, the Hebrew words always has three root consonants. So that word nephesh is uh, N, P-H, and S-H 
are the three basic consonants. And the word for spirit is ruach, that same breathing out, like a napak, a napak, napak. There we got ruach, okay? So spirit, so the breath of God carried the spirit of God into man, and then we became a nefesh, a, a living soul. So spirit is kind of an ongoing, irresistible, non-ceasing, outgoing breath. Okay, I don't want to keep doing it. My throat will get raw. You know, it just goes on. Okay, like that. Okay, that's spirit. And get this, spirit produced soul. Ruach, spirit, okay, produced nefesh or soul. So soul is created, which makes the soul dependent. Spirit is uncreated, it's God-given, right? It's God-given, so spirit is not dependent on anything on this earth, but fully and wholly dependent on God. So the inherited spirit that we have, the napak, produced the nefesh, okay? And if you take those three sounds and you, and you study them and you really learn to say them correctly, the, 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 the nepak and the ruach uh, and the nefesh, you got the ruach is the spirit going out and the nefesh is the spirit coming in or the soul uh, being made alive. It's like uh, us inhaling and exhaling. It makes the same sound. So, so it's like, wow, when you think about it, God breathed into us, we inhale. We, just like someone that maybe has drowned or someone who's uh, not breathing and you start doing mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and you're breathing in and you're, you're doing CPR and you're breathing and then they go, oh, you know, they don't go, they go, oh, they first take the air. Because that's how we were created. We first, you know, you take a baby out of the womb. The baby don't go, and the baby goes, oh, I watched all three of ours. Oh, and then, wow, and they let out their cry. Okay, because that's the order of God's creation for us. It shows us that our soul is dependent. It has to breathe in. We have to breathe in before we can breathe out. Because spirit is eternal, ongoing, so that the outbreathed spirit produces the created dependence of a soul which was a person. Hallelujah. So everything that we have, true humility, is realizing that our very breath comes from God. And when you understand that, it will keep you from always turning your back on the offer that the spirit of pride makes to you. It comes and it tries to trade. That's what he says. It tries to trade. It tries to tell you there's a better bargain for you. There's a better place for you. There's a better position for you. There's a better this for you. It's trying to trade and make you think that you're getting ahead. But you say, wait a minute. My dependence is on God. Because when the breath came in, it came in from the mouth of God. He put that plosive breath into me and now what I give back out of my soul is only the response of what he has given in. So the very breath that I breathe, it comes from God. So nothing can tempt me because I will take my breath over 10 gazillion dollars. I will take my breath over every position that would be ever offered to me into this world. I would take my breath over any relationship that the enemy would ever try to give to me. My 
breath means more to me than anything. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because when you, somebody's suffocating, you will fight and you will do anything to try and get your breath. And then we realize that it was the breath of God that kick-started and gave you your beginning. It is now how He created us. So it is the very breath of God that we continue to live by. And you understand that you're not going to allow the spirit of pride to come in. You will say, no, my very breath comes from the Lord. My very existence comes from the Lord. My soul is dependent on the Spirit of God. I'm not dependent on a title. I'm not dependent on a bank account. I'm not dependent on what you think of me or what the other person thinks of me. My dependence is on God because I see in the very original creative order of how God set it up uh, that He was the new pock. Uh, he was the explosive breath of heaven into my lungs uh, that gave me by His Ruach Spirit a uh, uh, nephesh uh, ability to respond with life. So my very being is based on Him. Hallelujah. So when you understand that every breath that you have comes from God, that we are dependent on Him, that we are subject to Him, that we should honor Him, we should trust Him, we should worship Him, we should praise Him, we should live for Him, we should never ever ever fall into the temptation of that spirit of pride that would say no God's given you a sour deal you need to step it up and become your own God and take charge of your own life see Lucifer is an example of pride but Jesus is an example of humility in Philippians 2 5 through 11, I love this chiasmus. There again, Hebrew. Oh my goodness, maybe I need to become a Hebrew professor. I don't know. But chiasmus is a type of language, a type, a style of literature. And I've used this example many times. And one of the examples of that is, uh, say, with a hymnal. You know how a hymnal works. You, read, you uh, read a, sing a hymn. You understand the nature of that literature and how it works in song. Is that you sing the first verse and you sing the chorus. You'll sing the second verse, and then you know, because of the style of literature, you know you go to this, the course again. Then you skip the third verse. I don't know why, we always do. And then you go to the fourth verse, you sing the fourth verse, and then you go and sing the course again. You go back and forth because of that style of literature. And here God, in, in the Greek this time, is set up a chiasmus, of a, a style of literature, to give the revelation through Paul of Philippians 2, 5 through and 8. So if you were to picture the hymn going one, course, two, course, skip three, four, course. Well, you shouldn't skip three. I'm just saying that's how I've seen it happen so many times in life. And uh, so you'd see that back and forth as a chart with a chiasmus. It's steps that go down, descend, and then on the other side, they arise out of that pit or whatever that declination is. It comes back up. And that's what he uses here. That's a style of literature in the Greek that he uses. Let this mind, and it helps us understand the example of humility. This is the example of humility. Let this mind be in you, each of us, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So verse 6 tells us that Jesus was going to step out of heaven and even though he is God, he's not going to use his sovereignty. He's not going to use his omniscience. He's not going to use his omnipotence. He's not going to use his omnipresence. He's going to leave that in heaven and he's going to step out. But he's not going to stop being God. 
For he is the Son of God. He is God. Jesus said, you've seen me. You've seen the Father. We are one. So he leaves that in heaven, and he comes and makes of himself no reputation. So he's leaving all that behind. He's taking these steps down. He's coming down. Taking on the form of a bondservant. Another step down. Coming in the likeness of a man. Okay, there another step. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and even became obedient to the point of death. Another step down. Even the death of the cross. This day and age, that would have been the electric chair. That would have been the worst of the worst of the ways to, to take the worst of the criminals out, to take the worst that would give the, uh, a reputation of the worst would go to the cross. But he came obedient to the cross. He humbled himself. But now God has this thing called a law. It's a spiritual law that will either make you or break you. And it is a law that if you pick yourself up, puff yourself up, exalt yourself, the hand of God comes against you to bring you down. If you humble yourself, God's hand will come and take you higher than you would have ever gone if you had tried it in your own and exalt you. Here it is. Jesus has taken the chiasmus. He's taken the steps all the way down to the death of a cross. But because he humbled himself and came to that place, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Remember, he came with no reputation. He came with no name. But now God has given him a name, but it's not just any name. It's a name that is above every name, that at this name every knee has to bow in heaven, on the earth, and even under the earth, and every tongue has to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Do it God's way, and you'll get God's assistance. You'll get divine help. God wants you blessed. He wants you the head and not the tail. He wants you blessed coming in and going out. Read Deuteronomy 8. He gives it over and over, verse after verse, of the blessing He's trying to get on us as He's tried to get the curse off of us. He didn't try to get it off of us. Jesus did everything on the cross to get the curse off of us. If we're still walking under the curse, it's because we've not placed faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ and what He did for us on the cross. But you don't have to build your name. Build up. It's all about me. It's what I like. It's what I want. It's how I want it to happen. It, no. Humble yourself. And the hand of God will come in and begin to exalt you to a high place. The key to humility. John 3 and 30. John the Baptist said, He must increase, but I must decrease. I like what Dwight O. Moody said when he was a young minister. He said, I thought that God kept his best gifts on the top shelves. But as I grew, grew older and, I, and now wiser, I now realize that God keeps his best on the lower shelves so that you can stoop down for them. Man, I think that's so good. Remember the test of our relationship that we are in with God is how we relate to him and how we relate to others. See, God's got this cross, and it's not just a vertical relationship He's interested in. It's this horizontal one as well. Do you see that? You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said this in Philippians 2 and 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition 
or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Don't push your way, the Message Bible says. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own, your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Man, doesn't that make a beautiful world to live in? If we're all doing that. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Out of respect for Christ, be courteous, reverent to one another. Wow. I don't want you to ever forget this picture of the, of the of plan that God has for us, of the napash, napash, and how we are to receive the breath in our lungs. And as we receive that breath of God in our lungs, that napash, then we release the nefesh, and we have life. We have life. Hallelujah. It's His breath in our lungs. That's why we praise Him. That's why we praise Him. Would you stand with me, please? Hallelujah. Father God, we just stand in Your presence. Lord, we thank You for Your goodness and Your mercy. We thank You for Your anointing. We thank You for Your great power. We thank You that it is Your very breath in our lungs that gives us life and that we are to humble ourselves and see that we're totally dependent on You. And I pray, God, if there's anybody here this evening or anyone tuning in who had been, been tricked or felt some barter or trading or maneuvering or manipulating of the spirit of Lucifer to try and make them exalt themselves and, and see that they deserve better and they should get this and they should be that and this and that about themselves and it's all about them and not about you. Lord, that we would humble ourselves right now. God, help us to see it, repent of it to turn from our wicked ways, to turn from that spirit, that spirit that is trying so hard as he tried to get all of the angels out of heaven and then he started in the garden and said, you will not surely die. No, God's holding back from you and calls Adam and Eve to sin. Thank God we don't have the first Adam as our example. We have the last Adam. And Jesus, you laid down the splendor of your glory. You laid it down and you came as a man, humble and obedient, even to death on a cross. And you gave your very life on that cross so that we could have a life, so that we could be liberated, so that we could be exalted by you, so that we could be promoted, so that we could be the praisers here on this earth. So, Lord God, let us go back to our roots on that first day when you went and you gave us breath and, and we went and we re re received it. Lord, let us tonight be reminded that it is your breath. It's your breath in our lungs. It's your breath in our lungs. That's why we praise you. Because we only can inhale and have another moment of life because of you. And because you give us this life, we want an exhale of praise unto you. We want to glorify you. We don't want to do like Lucifer and be glorified. No, we want to glorify you. We want to praise you. We want to magnify your name. We want to glorify and lift up. Hallelujah! It's your breath in our lungs. It's your breath in our lungs. We're going to praise you. We're going to praise Praise you. We're going to magnify your holy name. Hallelujah.
in the name of Jesus. Help us tonight, God, to humble ourselves, to see the need that we, as we draw our next breath, we draw it with our own knees bowing before You, yielded before Your hearts, prostrate before You, saying, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is to praise You. For me to live is to magnify. For me to glorify You. For me to exalt You. Can somebody in this house, can somebody in this house join me and begin to praise Him and begin to magnify Him. Take that breath that is in your lungs and you praise Him. Hallelujah. Because He is worthy. Let us humble ourselves even now and say it's the breath of God that I have life. And because of that, I'm going to praise You. I'm going to magnify You. I'm going to glorify You. Oh God, I lift You up in this place. I lift You up in this place. It's Your breath in my lungs. Yes. Yes, we do. Pour out our praise. It's Your breath in our lungs. Come on, let's sing it out to the Lord. Pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's Your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to You Come on, sing it to him. Great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. And all the earth will shout your praise. Come on, our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Make it a declaration. Are you Lord? And all the earth, come on. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you. Pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. Great. Great are you, Lord. Come on, just sing that to him. Great are you, Lord. Come on, let's just repeat that. Let's just repeat that. Great are you, Lord. Come on, let's sing it again. Sing it again. Great are you, Lord. Great are you. It's your breath in our lungs. It's your breath 
Help us see it tonight, God. Help us to see it tonight, God. your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise What I want you to do now, if you sense any, the Holy Spirit's convicted you and showed you that you've had that spirit of pride, any tentacle of it at all at work in your life, and you see self has become somewhat priority, and you're like, wait a minute, I want to make sure I leave here, and I put this thing in order tonight. I want you to just come up to this altar as a sign that I'm, I'm taking this selfish attitude, I'm taking this selfish mindset, I'm taking anything that Satan's going to use to find entrance into my life, nah, no, 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 not today, and I'm throwing it on this altar. I'm, I'm letting it die on this altar. I alter the place of things die. Let it die on this altar. I'm not leaving here with this thing, no sir. But because I'm going out of here knowing that every breath in my lungs is given to me by my God and I'm going to worship Him and honor Him and put Him first. I tell you what, I, I, just, I just bring it. I'm not taking it home with me. I'm leaving it here tonight. And I tell you what, just continue to let's worship the Lord. Just continue. Great are you Lord. Come on, let's sing it. Great are you Lord. Great are you, Lord. You give life, you are love. Lord, we just bring it to you tonight. Lord God, we don't want, we don't want any selfishness. We don't want any spirit of pride on us. We leave it on this altar tonight. Lord God, we lay it on this altar tonight. Lord God, take us. We realize and recognize and honor you as the very one that has given us the breath into our bodies. So Lord God, we're giving you our all. Our every breath is to live for you, to serve you, to worship you, to honor you, to bring glory to you. Hallelujah. So here we are, Lord God. Wow, we thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We magnify your name. Lord, we're here tonight. Sanctify us, Lord. Sanctify us, Lord God. Oh, we want to be set apart. We want to be worshipers. Satan gave up his place to worship you. Those angels gave up their place to worship you. But now you've created us as oaks of righteousness, a planting of you for the display of your splendor. So here we are, Lord God. Less of me and more of you. Less of me and more of you. Yes, Lord. It's your breath in my lungs. We pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We 
pour out our it's your breath Lord yes it is in our lungs so we pour out our praise pour out our praise it's your breath it's your breath Lord hallelujah Nupak Nupak is in us Father, we just come here tonight, see our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask you to search the searchlight of heaven, to search us and show us. Now see our hearts, Lord, as we humble ourselves before you, Lord. Lord God, we want to leave this place and we pray, Holy Spirit, you would seal on our hearts and our minds. You would seal this word. You would help us get it in the good soil of our heart so it can produce fruit. A life of humility, a life of humble service, a life of humble worship, a life lived for You and advancing Your kingdom and Your glory and Your honor and Your praise and Your majesty. Hallelujah. So Lord God, we pray Holy Spirit, seal this Word into the good soil of our lives. Lord, we don't want the enemy to steal it. We don't want him. I know he wants it, but we don't want him to seal it. So seal it, Lord God, by your Holy Spirit. Lord God, give us protection as we go from this altar and we go from this service and we go from this, this evening into the rest of our lives, Lord God. And that we can take the mind of Christ and that can be our image and model and lifestyle. Lord God, that if there's any exaltation, if there's any lifting up, if there's any promotion, let it come from You in our lives. But no self-promotion, no, no selfishness and self-centeredness and, and self-righteousness, Lord God. But we will die to ourselves. We will die to ourselves daily. We will take up our cross and follow You. That we will put you first and foremost in everything that we do, every decision that we make. Lord God, that you become priority. That we will love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And let that be demonstrated in our love for our neighbor, even as unto ourselves. So now, God, as we go into this evening, we go, I know, with your blessings. We go with your favor and we go with your great love. Now, God, let us use us minister through us your love to those around us lord god help us to show your love to those around us that you bring into our lives lord god that we could show them the heart of our father in heaven and to you be the glory and the praise and the honors we go into this night with your protection and your blessings in jesus name amen and amen praise the lord praise the lord